starting off and I'm just looking through some notes. Uh, it seems it's like you're an international bestseller. Some of the books, The Field, Intention Experiment, uh, and and now The Power of Eight, which I'd really like to get into, uh, if you don't mind. Um, sure. Because I have my own, say, frequencies or theories of, uh, of group dynamics or what I call the mastermind group. Uh, so that's going to be Great. interesting. Your take, my take on it. Um, what's interesting about you is that uh, is that you do sit right in the middle. You have an open mind, which is very unusual uh, mm -hmm. for individuals because you know most people tend to go one way or the other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, sit in the middle. Um, although your father has a dominant role, say in your psyche or the way you perceive things, from what I'm saying. Um, which is interesting. Uh, he was a big influence on me. Yeah, yeah. I see that. So yeah, uh, yeah, and a good and a good influence on you. <laughs> he was a yeah. He was a really moral. He his moral compass was always true north. Right, uh, and through him, and and I think that's what makes you different. And I think that's where you know this this the work that you're doing now, which is fantastic. Um, is from his propensity, um, if that makes sense to you. So just the way you get your hair color, eye color, you have that propensity uh, mm -hmm. to, say, be of a true moral compass or right in the middle, uh, mm -hmm. which, is good, which is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say, yeah, he did have a really big influence on me. Yeah. In lots of ways. I was blessed with good parents. Yes, uh, yeah, very good parents. Um, so you're internationally uh, author of the field, uh, the intention experience, uh, the bond. Wow, tons of books. Uh, I have to get started on mine. It seems like so. Let, tell me what I kind of gave you. I guess a background or my take on say why you are where you are. But tell me that your take or, or your experience. Why did you delve into um, you know a situation uh, where you know you're scientific, but what made you think that there's more uh, to that? Well, um, it, I was always interested in that from the time I was a young person. I was interested in the unseen, but I am an investigative reporter by training, actually. Oh, awesome. And okay. so I, you know, I, I was breaking baby selling rings in my 20s and things like that. Wow. Um, I, in, in my 30s, uh, my husband and I set up a newsletter, now a magazine called What Doctors Don't Tell You. Mm -hmm. And we look at what works and what doesn't work in conventional and alternative medicine. We're very interested in non-drug ways of treating people Fantastic. in every regard, everything from homeopathy and diet to, you know, spiritual healing, et cetera, and mm -hmm. beyond. So in the course of that, I kept coming across really good studies. We looked at the medical literature all the time to try to ground this stuff in science. Mm -hmm. And um, I kept finding these really good studies of spiritual healing. Mm -hmm. And I kept thinking to myself, if you can take a thought and send it to somebody else and make them better, then that in itself undermines everything we think about how the world works. So I set out to find out why, and I thought, um, and I had no idea what path to take really on this. I decided, well, I'll talk to some frontier scientists, you know, frontier physicists, et cetera. And they'll probably tell me there's something like human energy fields. What I didn't expect to find was scientists from prestigious universities all 
finding little areas that didn't fit the governing paradigm, but that together kind of compounded into a completely new view of reality, a new view of the world and how we work too. Yes. So that became my book, The Field. But one of the things that they kept experimenting with was the idea that thoughts are things that affect other things. Yes. And I was really curious and also a little skeptical about this, to be honest. I kept thinking, you know, and this was around the time, early 2000s with the secret and the law of attraction and manifesting and this and that. And the journalist to me kept saying, okay, well, what are we talking about here? Are we talking about just a subtle shift of a quantum particle or are we talking about curing cancer with your thoughts? And also what also really interested me was what happens when lots of people are thinking the same thought at the same time? Does sure. that magnify the effect? So I set up a thing with my next book called The Intention Experiment, where I, every so often, I will work with the scientist um, from one of the you know, well-known universities, University of Arizona, Penn State University, Princeton, University of California. They'll set up a very well-controlled experiment like uh, one time we tried to make seeds grow faster with our thoughts. And then I will invite my readers from around the world to come uh, to my website or in a web TV channel and we'll send intention together at the same time, same thought to that target. Now, I didn't really expect this to work, but we've run 33 experiments to date. Everything from trying to make seeds grow faster, trying to affect properties of a leaf, to trying to purify water, to lowering violence in violent or war-torn areas, to healing somebody of PTSD. And I've worked with audiences around the world and you know, up to 25,000 people intending at one time. And of those 33 experiments, 29 of them have shown measurable, positive, mostly significant effects. Wow. So there's no drug out there that's got that kind of consistent track record. Not so, even placebos. No. So <laughs> that's what got me thinking about group intention. And I decided one day to just scale it down, to try to do this in a workshop. And I wasn't really sure what to do. I mean, I'd studied lots of things about what intention masters do to do intention. And the same thing about what, what worked best doing intention in the laboratory. And I kind of distilled that into a simple program people could follow. I called it powering up. So I could teach people powering up, but I wasn't really sure what small groups ought to do. You know, should they hold hands? Should they be, you know, how should, should they be in a circle? Should they be standing? Should they be sitting? And so in my first workshop in 2008, I just ran this thing, kind of making it up a little bit as I went along, expecting it to be a kind of feel-good effect. Right. That's not what happened. Mm-hmm. The next day, people came back uh, for the second day of the workshop, I lined them up, anyone who'd received intention, and they took the mic and turn and they said things like this. I have cataracts and they're 80% better. I have a really dodgy knee that needs a knee replacement and I'm walking normally today. I have terrible migraines every night of my life and today I, and last night I was completely clear. I have insomnia and I've slept like a baby. And you know, and on and on and on it went. And I tended to discard this as a placebo effect until I saw it happening over and over and over and over in the 
hundreds and hundreds of workshops I've run since then, amazing healings in an instant. Not only, and the other thing that convinced me was not only the receivers of the intention, the senders, many of the senders were also experiencing incredible healings. Yes. So that's really what I've been looking at and what my book was all about. And the reason it took me 10 years to actually publish it was that I was pretty frightened by all of this. And also I needed to find out why, why is this working the way it is? Awesome. Um, and so the book that you were talking about, which title is that? It's the power of eight. The is power the, of eight. The one I, yeah, the one I put together most recently is really all about our power of eight groups, as well as what happened with the intention experiments. Because the other bizarre thing that happened with the intention experiments is um, I started in 2008, the same year, doing peace intention experiments. I, I had done loads of, of seed experiments and water experiments, and I was getting a little bored with all of that. And so I got a scientific team together and I said, let's do something huge. Let's do, let's send intention for a war-torn area and see if we can lower violence. And so we chose Sri Lanka because my scientific team, including a, a statistician, a professor of statistics at um, University of California, yes. wanted to have a big long tail of stats. We needed to have at least two years of weekly injuries and deaths, um, and then six months afterward. And that's hard because when you have a war-torn area, nobody usually likes to talk about the bodies, much right. less count them. So we have finally found a good record-keeping organization in Sri Lanka, which was going through a, a, a civil war at the time. So we did it. We, did, we looked at it afterward. There were incredible results. Um, it, uh, we lowered violence, but more interestingly, it looks like the, the very week of our intention, it went through eight days, seemed to be pivotal in this entire course of the war. Uh, the government won a couple of, of decisive battles that enabled them to recapture the North, which had been entirely controlled by the rebels, and within a few months. And about five months after that, because of that, this 25-year intractable war, nobody was winning, was over. And wow. Sri Lanka is a totally different country. Now, did we do this? I don't know. You know, could have been coincidence. When you keep doing it over and over again, as we have done with six peace intention experiments, we're getting the same kinds of results over and over again. But the very interesting piece of it is not just what happened to the target, but what happened to the participants. I surveyed them and I surveyed people after all of our experiments. And I found a really bizarre mirror effect. If they were intending for peace, their lives became more peaceful. They were making up with estranged partners. They were getting along better with their coworkers and their boss. Um, they were more in love, about half of them said they were more in love with everybody they came into contact with. They were hugging strangers, basically. You know, people were really touched by this. And um, I started realizing that there's a mirror effect that started that goes on with these kind of group intentions that is possibly more powerful than you know our targeted intention. Right, right. Um, one thing I'd like to ask is, is, well, there's a couple, there's lots of questions, but so the power of eight. So, so why eight? 
Okay. <laughs> Total accident, or maybe not. Okay. I was kicking it around with my husband when we were trying to figure out um, how to run these workshops and what to do when I first wanted to scale this down from the intention experiments. And I'm sitting there going, I don't know, but maybe I'll put them in groups of eight or so and uh, have them send healing intention to one of the members of the group. My husband's a really good um, headline writer. So he said, yeah, he's a journalist too. He goes, yeah, I love it. The power of eight. And it truly was that complete accident. But of course, there are amazing things about eight, you know, sideways, yes. sideways infinity, infinity. Mm -hmm. balance um, of the seen and the unseen. There's so many different, you know, powerful, um, significant elements about eight in, you know, in various traditions. So maybe it wasn't an accident. Who knows? Uh, no, um, for me, because I do, I do group healings or group transformations, I, I, I don't know, I, I really don't want to get into, uh, I don't know what other word to call it other than healing, but it is a transformation for individuals. Um, and for me, I guess it doesn't really matter uh, if it's an eight, uh, yeah. although I always end up, you know, in, in like 13, uh, which uh -huh. is really a powerful number for me. Uh, That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I agree with you. It doesn't matter. Eight was gold is a Goldilocks number for me, but it's, you know, it's not too big. It's not too little, but it doesn't have to be when we've run intention groups. It can be five. It can be 12. You know, it, it starts getting unwieldy if it's much, much more than 12. Right. And it's less than five is not really a group. So um, but it doesn't have to be eight, as I say. And as I said in the book, it was complete accident <laughs> well uh it could be just you uh it seems like you know eight might be your favorite number and then you know you set that intention and then like an arc field gets created right because sure. you are you are a powerful individual uh that you can create just like the placebo effect you know you create and but it's not a placebo effect it's just like an arc field say that wraps around sure. number eight and then it's like okay uh and then everybody else uh, you know, understands it as well. And, you know, it seems like it magnifies, uh, which is, uh, which I love is really that interesting. Idea. I have no idea. You know, it just was, it was one of those things that just popped into my head, but yeah, yeah. I love that. Well, this is, this is, uh, I think where people say bless a water, you know, bless water or bless, you know, their food or bless anything, because like you said, yes. we do have that intention, uh, and it tra transforms people. So yes. again, since eight is your favorite number, then you know it creates even more intention for you, uh, and that's something to learn for those people listening in. You know, if you really have something favorite, create an intention, uh, instill it. In fact, I, I can help you do that, uh, uh, and maybe after um, this 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 podcast, uh, and then you'll see that. Just, I don't want to call it a placebo effect, but you'll see that that creates say, a resonance for you that helps you get what you are looking for. Um, so, just to go deeper, you know, we talk about intentions, but you know, there are millions of people all across the world, um, Lynn, that that say set an intention, but then they don't get it. Why mm -hmm. do you think that would be? I have well, my definition. Okay, I want to hear yours. Okay, well, a lot of a lot of reasons. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that I find has worked best for us is being very specific. 
Okay. A lot of times people really don't tell the universe what they want, or they say something, they say something so general that, um, you know, the universe can fill in the details and doesn't necessarily fill in what they'd really like. Right. So one of the big issues is being specific. Okay. Um, the other thing, we just came back from a retreat, my husband and I, and we were teaching in the retreat when intentions don't come true. A lot of the times it's because you are intending, but you're broadcasting your past. You're broadcasting a lot of negativity um, yes. that you don't realize. Um, most people think that you do an intention by doing a power of thought, a power thought in the morning. You know, you get wow. in meditative state, you do your intention, and that's all the universe hears. But, you know, we're all leaky buckets. We were all intending 24-7. You know, if thoughts are light and there's some reasonable evidence about that, yes. well, we're beaming all the time. We're broadcasting 24-7. So yes. that's one of the big issues is people don't realize that what they're also broadcasting, they may be sending out an intention, maybe even a very specific intention. They're also broadcasting their consideration about it, their belief that they it probably won't come true or that they're not worthy of it or something like that. And that's what the universe hears. Perfect. Yeah, I, I call them filters. You know, say that you've been abused, you have a filter that you're sending out your intention. Mm -hmm. sense? Mm -hmm. And then that distorts the purity of your thought. So even if you even if you have say great intentions, but uh, you are using an instrument, you know, that's rusted out, that's been abused, that's been distorted. Well, what kind of frequency are you sending out to the universe? Because the, the universe listens to that, not your, you know, that, that yeah. your, you know, outside intent that you have. So uh, I like that background because that's exactly the way I see it as well. You know, goal setting, and that's why a lot of times goal setting doesn't work because, again, of your background history. Um, the yeah. important thing, uh, I guess, uh, and you may not know it either, is that, you know, you have such pure or strong intent that you can almost will things to come into, say, reality, hmm. uh, if that makes sense to you. So mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. it'd, be, it'd be interesting uh, to maybe do a study where you are out of the intention group and see how powerful. I have done, okay? This okay. is what's interesting because... You know, I thought just the same. I didn't think, you know, I'm a, a strong instrument. I just wanted to see what would happen if people were in groups for a year because, you know, I was having a hard time with all of this. You know, I'm not a healer. I have not had a near-death near experience. I guess I'm a healer now, but I didn't think yeah. of myself as that. I think of myself as a writer. And so when this all began to happen, it pretty much frightened me. But I also, I needed to understand it. So I looked at it from a lot of different ways. And one of the ways that I did it was to get 250 people and put them into groups mm -hmm. of about eight and monitor them for a whole year. Right. And just see what was happening to their health, their relationships, their finances, their career, their life's purpose. I wanted to know whether or not meeting week after week in groups we heal everything about them. I've certainly right. seen lots of physical healing in an instant in my weekend workshops, but what happened if it was a whole year? And it was really fascinating for me because um, uh, most of the people from the beginning were 
having amazing experiences. Mm -hmm. For instance, one of the women, Patty Rutledge, had 15 years worth of chronic fatigue. She couldn't exercise more than five minutes. And with the group's help, not only did she find the, the cause of her chronic fatigue, which was black mold lurking in her house, mm-hmm. and clearing that out of the house and herself, you know, completely cleared her. But also they helped her kind of uh, make two breast lumps disappear, essentially. We had other people like that, Mitchell Dean, clinical psychologist suffering from suicidal depression. Can you imagine what a bad, you know, right. a bad PR that is for him? Definitely. And they found again the cause, the group helped him find the cause of it, just through their intention. He found one of his liver filtration systems wasn't working, and as soon as that was sorted, he is much, you know, he is, uh, he's better, essentially. So we had lots of kind of stuff. Um, and essentially, of all of the people, who did this, met week after week through the whole year. That was about 150 of the 250. Mm-hmm. Of those, 100% of them had major life changes. Beautiful. And this had nothing to do with me. They were meeting themselves week by week. But one of the really interesting pieces was for those people initially where nothing was working for them. Mm-hmm. You know, I, would, I did backup calls we did some training, et cetera. And I would talk to them and I would say, you know, well, let's try this. And where, you know, I do all kinds of retro intention stuff. Mm -hmm. And we were going back and trying to, you know, heal scarcity. Nothing was working for this one, for instance, Andy, this one woman. Mm -hmm. So I finally was getting a little fed up with all of this. And remember, this is an experiment for me too. And I just, Andy, get off of yourself. Stop intending for yourself. Intend for somebody else. And the somebody else in my, I had in mind was a young boy called Luke, whose stepfather wrote me that this boy who's 15 years old, broke up with his first serious girlfriend, and in a fit of adolescent angst, he threw himself off of a 40-foot structure onto hard ground. Oh. And, you know, Luke broke everything in his body. He had nerve damage, he had brain damage. Doctors didn't think he was going to live. So I had the groups do a weekly healing vigil for for Luke. And I mean, it was remarkable. Luke rallied and, and his stepfather kept a running commentary around the time of our intentions to let us know exactly what was happening. And it was amazing. I mean, Luke rallied every single time we sent intention and he got out of the hospital completely healed in record time. Um, maybe that was us, maybe it was good doctoring. But what was really interesting is what happened to people like Andy. As soon as Andy got off of herself and started healing, you know, sending intention for Luke, that very next week, after she could not get a job anywhere, she couldn't get any kind of new work, she needed it, she was going through a divorce, she had kids to support, nothing was happening. And right after intending for Andy Ed, for Luke and getting off of herself, she gets a call out of the blue with her dream job. Wow. And that happened over and over and over again. So to me, one of the big powerful things in the group, and I looked at the science of it too, is altruism. You know, getting off of yourself is a big piece of these groups and intending for someone else. And that's, I think, one of the reasons too where people get this amazing uh, mirror effect. Um, you know, I get, you know, similar uh, transformations for individuals, uh, um, very intense, you know, people cure themselves with cancers and things like that. And again, 
um, it's not me that does it. it it's you know, it, it's just that we start to awaken, you know, somebody's internal healing abilities, and then they start to say, well, they start to look around and go, wait a second, that's not me. I, I don't need to experience this reality anymore. And then there you are. You know, you start to heal yourself. Um, but it all sounds really good. But then, you know, there are, say, medical communities or scientific communities. What do they say about it? <laughs> well, medical communities um, is very interesting. Um, because I run an international magazine with my husband called What Doctors Don't Tell You, um, we are, it's in 15 languages now. And we run US, UK editions and license okay. the rest for translation. Um, you know, our publication by that name has been going for nearly 30 years. It's been a magazine since 2012. And the skeptical communities didn't take kindly to it and actually tried to close us down. Wow. You know, they tried to get us taken out of stores. They tried to do all sorts of things. They did for a while, but our readers were very supportive and started boycotting the stores. So the stores had to put us back in. Wow. So we're used to that kind of attack and they're unwarranted because, um, you know, <laughs> We're probably much more up on the science of the of the of medical journals than the most doctors are. We read them every week. You know, we're studying all of this to put together this magazine. Right. So, you know, we're up on the latest findings. You know, and oftentimes doctors don't have the time for that. Having they said that, there's loads their, of um, sorry. They rely on their sales rep to tell them what's what's the latest. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But I mean, having said that, a lot of doctors. You know, the target of our magazine isn't doctors. It's really the pharmaceutical industry. Um, but a lot of doctors read our publication. A lot of doctors come to my, my workshops and my lectures because they want to understand more. And one of the things I try to do in my books, you know, they have hundreds of references in them. Even though they're, you know, I write for lay people and they're easy to read. Um, they are based on a lot of science. Even the power of eight, I really needed to understand this. Why is this working? Mm -hmm. And one of the things I was blessed to have was um, Life University. I spoke there in 2015. And the head of the university, the president, was fascinated by the power of eight. And he said, listen, would you like to study it? Let's, you can, you know, I'll put our neuroscience department at your disposal. Mm -hmm. So this was just a blessing for me. And I worked with a team of neuroscientists. We did a pilot, our first pilot study. We're going to do more. The right. first one was looking at seven groups of volunteer students. We created Power of Eight groups. We put EEG caps on each one member of each group who was a sender mm -hmm. um, to measure brain waves. And we found that right after um, initiating this Power of Eight group, this person with the EEG cap would have, and it happened every single time, would have a global quieting of the parts of the brain that make us feel separate. So that is the parietal lobes, which sit back here. Mm -hmm. And also the other thing that happened was a lowering of the part of the brain in the front, the right frontal lobes that are concerned worry, doubt, negativity. So these were essentially the brainwave signatures of somebody in a state of ecstatic oneness. Mm. 
And when we looked at it, and it was really surprising, my neuroscientist, Dr. Stephanie Sullivan, was really shocked by this. She thought it was going to look exactly like the brain signature on meditation, but it was completely different. It was a global quieting of those parts of the brain that make us feel separate. And what it did resemble, though, was exactly the brainwave signature recorded by a guy called Dr. Andrew Newberg of the University of Pennsylvania, formerly of the University of Pennsylvania, who studied Sufi masters, uh, Sufi, um, Sufi masters um, in their chat, chanting, during chanting, or Buddhist monks in ecstatic prayer. He found identical brainwave signatures to our power of eight groups. Wow. But here was the difference, and it's a really important difference. It takes years of dedicated practice to become a Sufi master or a Buddhist monk. And it takes usually many minutes, maybe hours of priming to get into that state. Our students were complete novices. They hadn't even done meditation. They'd never done power of eight groups. And all they had for me was a 12 minute video telling them how to do it. And nevertheless, they were transported into the miraculous. They were transported into a state of ecstatic oneness. So for me, it is a real fast track. A power of eight group, a small group of intenders is a real fast track to the miraculous. Wonderful. Sounds, sounds fantastic. Um, you know, I get stories like that all the time. Um, so tell me about the Life University. What do, it sounds like an intriguing university, by the way. Uh, it is, you know, it is in Atlanta, and it's the largest chiropractic university in the world. Um, it is, <clears throat> it's a wonderful place because, you know, chiropractic divides into two types. One are, many, one are just the kind of the, the mechanics who are kind of an adjunct of, um, of the medical profession. You know, they just crack, crack crunch people back into place. Right. The others are, are what they call vitalists who believe that we are energetic beings and that they are allowing life force energies, you know, nervous system energies, when they get people adjusted, they allow that energy to come through and for people to self-heal. So that's Life University is a little bit more of that school of chiropractic, okay. um, but it's a very rigorous school. It's very, you know, it's very well thought of. It is one of the best chiropractic universities in the world. And it was just, it was just my great fortune that they were interested in enough to devote the resources to do these, you know, to do this study and future ones that we're planning. Beautiful. Um, you know, there's, which is interesting because there's more and more individuals or institutes that are looking to study my abilities. So it'd be interesting if we could like collaborate at some level. Uh, mm -hmm. And I, it could, because, um, because, um, well, obviously, you know, you're, you're in tune. Um, um, but from what I see, you know, let's see, uh, there are different levels of frequencies, as you know. Right, you have sure. the base frequency that creates these realities. Um, so as we get more and more in tune, we can go to, you know, the core level frequencies, uh, as I call it, or the subquantum frequencies that really say help uh, shift people. And and this is where, in the near yes. future, you know, we can say edit our lives. Uh, this is where. Uh, instantaneous yes. healing comes in. This is where you know if you lost a limb, you could maybe regrow it. I mean, I'm, I mean that sounds kind of far fetched, but if you think about it, 
we could actually create that because we're creating the body that we have now. How do we do that? Right? What mm -hmm. level do we have to get to? Uh, and yeah. so, what are your thoughts on uh, well, possibilities? Um, well, back, back, let me just backtrack to sure. studying you. I think mm -hmm. what would be really interesting, because what fascinates me is um, you're not the first person who's talked to me about having had a near death experience and mm -hmm. coming back completely altered with right. a gift. Um, there's a woman called Joyce Hawks who had a had a, a painting fall on her head and she died for a few minutes and she came back with an ability to heal. And um, I would love to see a study of people like you um, because there's obviously something really major that's changed. Evan Alexander, the one who wrote um, Proof of Heaven, yeah. something really changed with him too. And you know, his is more, I don't know if it's a healing ability, but it certainly is a completely different uh, take on life now. Right. But I think that there is this touching, you know, touching the skirt of the divine for those few minutes has love. an amazing effect. And I'd love to see somebody like the Dutch scientist, Pim von Lommel, who has studied near-death experiences, examine somebody like you. That would be so perfect because I think he's already really into this, and it would be fascinating to see what he says. That that yeah, that'd be fantastic. Um, so, in the future, where do you think, say, healing or, uh, and again, I have a tough time with healing because, you know, when people think of healing, it's just like physical healings, but just the standard of life. Right? Do sure. we have to suffer the way we do? Uh, yeah. Do we have to abuse the planet the way we do? Do we have to, uh, you know, rape, you know, the natural resources or, you know, oppress individuals? Do we really need that if we were, say, at a higher level frequency? Because that's what we're well, talking about. I think about. it's, you know, that's such an interesting question. And no, no. I mean, it's a lot of the subject of some of my other books, too. I mean, The Bond was really a very much about, it was it was arguing against Darwin, basically, and saying this whole idea we have of life as being a, a race to the finish line and survival of the fittest is really completely anathema to our 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 uh, our makeup as as human beings. We need to we need to share care and be fair, you yes. know, and we need all of that. Um, we need community more than we need oxygen or food. And so uh, what I think about in terms of healing, and I take the big view too, I don't think it's just physical healing. I think we're talking about healing people's lives, healing their, you know, their sense of lack and scarcity, healing their loneliness, healing their relationships, healing their sense of life purpose and, right. um, and the way they make their money, you know, yes. healing their lives in total. That's what I look at too with these power of eight groups. Mm -hmm. And I think that we're going to find our, our biggest healing in small groups. I really think small communities, people are so lonely now. They're so isolated. The American way has created much, much, much more of an isolated um, lifestyle than we were meant to ever have. So I think that it's, sorry? Isn't that amazing with social media, you know, that everything is available to us, you know, you can connect with anybody, you know, across thousands of miles. Uh, and I find that too, that more and more individuals are feeling more isolated. Uh, although there's so much opportunities to connect uh, 
in so many different ways. So what gives? Why do you think that is? I, mean, I have my uh, take, but uh, you know, I want to hear yours. Well, I mean, there was a, I wrote a lot about this in my book, my last book, The Bond. I mean, <clears throat> we have grown up with this idea of individuality being so important, yeah. so supreme. And we are pitted against other children from the time we are children. We're pitted against other people. Every aspect of our lives is infused with com competition as, an, as a good thing. Now, I'm not arguing in favor of socialism, but I'm just saying that eat or be eaten um, uh, competition is not good for anybody. So I think there's that. I think more and more we are living in communities of sameness. We're frightened of difference. You know, we. I mean, the fastest growing communities are gated communities, you know, to keep out people who are different from us. Um, the no studies show that it actually helps prevent crime. That's complete rubbish. Um, and there's all this thing where we've developed sameness. And I think that, you know, we've, we, and now in America and in Europe too, we've grown to uh, find difference, anathema, you know, even political difference is now anathema. You know, Republicans will not room with Democrats in colleges anymore. It's just, you know, kind of insane. So we have defined difference as essentially the enemy instead of just embracing it in community. So all of these things in our modern lives have set up situations where, you know, the way we create our houses and things has set up situations where people don't have, you know, any kind of community engagement anymore. Um, Robert Putnam, who wrote the book Bowling Alone, uh, you know, identified this a few years back of saying that civic engagement in America has died. So the idea that you are working together as a community, you're working for the common good, is not an idea anymore. You know, it's not something that's, that's, that is there, and, but it needs to be. And um, that's something that really interests me a lot. Um, and I'll tell you why. Um, one of the things that I discovered with the intention experiments, I did one in November, where I had the privilege of, of running an experiment where I, I was working in a studio that had uh, nine different cameras placed in different auditoriums. And this was run by a guy who has sponsored me. I speak all over the world, and one of the places I speak is the Middle East. And the guy who sponsors me is a guy called Dr. Salah al-Rashid, who is like the Deepak of the Middle East. Mm. And he put cameras in auditoriums in eight different Arab countries. And then we worked, he and I worked together then with a woman called Sipi Raz, who is an Israeli Jew, who is a very well-known documentary maker in Israel. And so then the ninth camera was put in an auditorium filled with Israeli Jews in Jerusalem. So, and during the time we ran this experiment, we also ran it over my internet, my YouTube channel, so that my audience around the world could take part too. And so we sent intention to lower violence in an area of Jerusalem, the old city that was suffering from a lot of violence. And we chose it because we thought, you know, Jerusalem belongs to all the three major religions and, you know, everybody feels it's, it's universal. So we sent intention there. What was amazing is with this technology, my screen was beamed into all of these nine auditoriums. 
but I could also see them. I saw nine little screens and I could call on any one of them at any time and they would then become the big screen and they would be broadcast to other people and they could talk back. So as I called on them, I started asking them afterward, how was that for you? And it was remarkable because remember, Arabs and Israeli Jews have been brought up to hate each other, to loathe each other, to think that they have horns growing out of their heads. They want to kill each other. Yet we had people from Saudi Arabia and Bahrain and Kuwait, et cetera, the different Arab countries with the different auditoriums standing up and saying, we love you, sister, to the Israelis. And everybody was crying and the Israelis were saying things like, your God is my God. And so this to me was really remarkable. Um, and it's happened before too with another experiment I did during the 10th anniversary of 9-11. Um, I had not only Americans and Westerners, but also Muslims from the Arab countries take part, sending intention and essentially apologizing for 9-11. And it was amazing watching the interaction between the Americans and the Arabs. They started Facebooking each other on my Facebook page and they wow. started befriending each other and finally they began to forgive each other. So for me, I think one of the things about this powerful about group intention is it's almost like doing a big common prayer and it has an amazing ability to allow the heart to reach across the fence so one of the things i'm working on now is i have a pilot little pilot intention experiment coming up where i'm working with a group in pinellas county in florida and florida is a purple is a purple state so we're getting Democrats and Republicans to come together in the same hall to send an intention to lower violence somewhere. But what's more interesting than the outcome is what happens to the participants. Do they become closer? So we're going to try this out and then maybe scale it up. So it's an experiment on an experiment. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. That's awesome. So, you know, I was thinking about, um, so the group intention, so, so individuals who are in power, and, and again, this is my take, so I want to hear your take. So you have, sure. say, the masses, right? Uh, they resonate or they can resonate up to a certain frequency, and that's their intention level. So you have somebody that's in higher power, say somebody that has uh, wealth or power or intelligence, say like a government body. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. They create an intention. Mm -hmm. So... And I think in the past, you know, a higher level, whether it's distorted or pure, it doesn't matter, you know, they would, they would say control the intentions of the masses, right? Because that's how control works, right? At a deeper level, it's not about, you know, taking mm -hmm. away their food or any resources or anything like that. But again, people get controlled from a, a different level of frequency rather than just the physicalness of being under control. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think in today's society, uh, where it goes back to religion is like where the meek shall inherit the earth. I never understood what that meant, but now, you know, just what's some of the things that you were saying, it's like, wow, it's really about people coming into their own grandness that they all, well, that we all are, and well, re inheriting or inheriting the earth, where again, anybody can come into, say, a grand level of abundance, no matter what that mm -hmm. abundance. Is defined. Yeah, I mean, you know, some of those those sayings that we've heard from the Bible, and you know, they're almost like a hallmark card. 
Yes. But you know, one of the biggest ones, do unto others. You know, that's what we found is one of the most powerful things people can do is this altruism, setting intention to someone else, and you yourself will be healed too. Um, so yeah, this whole idea of the meek shall inherit the earth, you know, I don't think, I think what's really powerful is community. It always has been. And yeah. now, you know, it's a very dark time for a lot of people in a lot of places around the world. But we have an enormous power in numbers, whether exactly. it's intention or lots of other things. And intention can also move into action. So I don't fear, you know, the government or dark times now. What I feel, what I fear most is the artificial divisions that are being created and the polarization being created by the politicians of of the people of saying power yeah and i mean they're creating these terrible divisions and one of the things that i keep wanting to do with these intention experiments is to show people that when you come together just to do something like this some simple altruistic act Mm -hmm. you find more things in common than not. Um, And there's a really good scientific reason for this. Um, When you do something altruistic, you activate a thing called the vagus nerve, which is the longest nerve in your body. It starts in your neck, goes through all your major organs, and it releases things like oxytocin, you know, the love hormone, when, when it's activated. But more importantly, not only does it have a really profoundly positive effect on your immune system, but University of California at Berkeley studies have shown that it also activates, you know, a single act of altruism, like, like an intention experiment, activates your feelings of being much more tolerant for people not like you. Yes. So you can see this is why, a good explanation for why the Israelis and the Arabs started sending love to each other, mm-hmm. and why this can work to help Republicans and Democrats become closer together too. We just need to get together very simply, in common prayer. Definitely. That's definitely. Uh, it's all about uh, just reuniting everybody, you know, the common individuals. Uh, you know, we come together and then the powers to be or whatever you want to call them, uh, that control, they really don't have to control that way. Uh, and that goes back to Darwinism, you know, where everybody yeah. is against everybody. Um, and, you know, obviously that doesn't work. Even in the animal community, you know, you might think it's a jungle out there, but, you know, I saw that picture where that elephant was carrying a lion cub to a watering hole. You know, they all know, and I think it was a picture of the century, um, you know, at even at that level, at that animal level, let's say, they really all know that there is, well, that circle of life, if you want to call it, or, or knowing that there's a balance out there that needs to ma- be maintained. because because if you go past that balance, like, you know, the humans have, uh, we get very, very distorted and things start to fall apart. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wonderful. Wonderful. Uh, it's a great interview. If you have any wrap up questions or anything like that. Um, just to let everybody know, I am running a new big intention experiment on November 11th. Um, it's going to involve people around the world. We're going to probably have the target in the Middle East. Again, something that is of concern to everyone or the Far East. Um, 
and you can participate. My intention experiments are always free. You can participate by just signing up on my website, lynnmctaggart.com. And we'll be having information very shortly about how to participate. It's very simple. You just have to sign in and you get to watch it live. And it should be pretty extraordinary. And we have a big one um, planned for the spring where we're going to try to bring Republicans and Democrats together. So please join in. And if you want to set up your own Power of Eight group, um, please check out my book, The Power of Eight, now in paperback, um, in all good booksellers and online. And also, um, if you want to set up a Power of Eight group and you haven't got seven other friends, uh, you can do this on my website, lynnmctaggart.com forward slash forum, where you can set up, you can advertise to set up a group or you can join an existing group in your time zone. So Beautiful. please join us. Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, well, fantastic. Thanks. Thank you so much, Lynn. It was a pleasure talking to you. Uh, if you're, are you going to be in the UK? Um, I am. I am for part of the month. Okay. Why don't you write me, write me via Laura and let me know when you're coming through. Okay. Yeah. I'd love to do, you know, uh, Faye and I would love to have uh, lunch or, uh, you know, coffee uh, with you. That'd be wonderful. Okay. Well, just to just write us about your dates okay. and we'd love to, you know, we'd love to continue communicating. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Take, take care. care. And I can, you know, if you need contact for Pin Von Lommel, just let me know via Laura. Oh, I love and I that. You guys I in touch. Yeah, I think you should do that study. It would be brilliant. Okay. Where, where, is he, where is he from? He's Dutch, but he's done the most study of anybody on near-death experiences, and he okay. speaks about it. And I know that he is going to know more than anybody that you guys have been touched with something very profound. That'd be great. That'd be fantastic. Thank you so much. Okay. Take, Take care, care now. Bye-bye.